Okay, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and uh, open them to John chapter 8. Uh, we're going to look at the first 11 verses of John chapter 8 and continue in this series of, entitled God Unwrapped. And we have been looking at how when, when we engage and understand who Jesus is, especially obviously we celebrate Christmas, that Jesus not only came to save us, and he did that through his birth and his death and his resurrection, but he came to reveal to us who God is. And so all of us have questions, and we get confused sometimes. How does God approach things, and what does God think of this, and what would God do? And the beautiful thing is throughout the Gospels, we have this record of Jesus, the God of the universe in human flesh, demonstrating to us who God is. And so we get to unwrap who God is through the life of Jesus. And so we've been looking at, at different encounters that Jesus had with people and how it shows how God responds to different things going on in our lives. And so this morning, we're going to talk about this concept of freedom, unwrapping the God of freedom that, God, that Jesus brings to us, which is important. And if you've been in the church for a while and you hear the, the term freedom, it's something that you and I, I think a couple things, we take it for granted that we're actually free. But I think more than that, I think many of us struggle to actually truly be free. And what do we mean by freedom? Uh, freedom has to do with living your life in such a way that the things that normally would control you, mindsets, failures, sins, uh, all kinds of things, are literally just lifted, like a cloud is lifted or like the sun rises and there's this clarity that you get to see for the first time in your life. For some of us in this room, we've never experienced that kind of freedom where those things that have bound us and weighed us down have actually been lifted off of our lives because what Jesus has done. That's what Jesus desires to do for each one of us. And, and I think for some of us, we don't even have a concept of what our life would look like if we were actually free. I want you just to, just to for a moment, just picture very practically, if you come through this Christmas season and you get into to the new year, what would your life look like if you were actually free from the thing that you're stuck in right now? Let me just go through things. What if you're a person who's constantly living in unforgiveness? That you struggle at forgiving other people. You are offended by other people. And so because of that, you have pain related to other people in relationship. What if you had the capacity to genuinely forgive people and walk free from any offense that you have? What if your relationships could be like that? Would your, would your life look different? What if you're a person who's given to anger and you're constantly angry? You're angry at the world and somehow the life is not taught or treated you fairly and so you're bitter and you're angry. What if that anger was lifted and actually you had genuine love and compassion for other people? What would your life look like? Would it look any different? What if there's a secret addiction that you've been managing for a long time in your life and you wanted to be free from it but you don't know what to do and you feel stuck and you feel like you're living in two realities. It's the, the, the public life of what you want people to think of you but then there's the private reality of who you really are and you live in that tension every single day. What if that was gone? What if you were free? What if that bondage is now something that you've been set free from? Would your life look any different? See, this is what Jesus has brought to the table. John said it earlier. We, we think of the baby Jesus, but Jesus came for power to be free. And he's the one throughout all human history that has the capacity to declare it and to make it happen in our lives because of his death and his resurrection. And so this morning we're going to look at let a, a story, an encounter that Jesus ha has with a, with a woman and what she's walking through. And it's a trap that's set up for Jesus but I want us to look at this passage because through this journey of 11 verses, Jesus encounters a woman who's stuck, who's bound, who is not free. And through this amazing story in this journey, he sets her free like he wants to set us free this morning. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and, and make sure you're in, in John chapter 8. We're going to look at verses 1 through 11 this morning, and then we'll, we'll talk about what freedom looks like in our lives. So starting at the beginning here, the last part of 
of chapter 7 says they went to each to his own house, and then verse 1 of chapter 8, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Early in the morning, he came again to the temple, and all the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery, and placing his, her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do, we, what do you say? Verse 6, This they said to test him, that he, they might find a charge or have a charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and he said to them, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more he bent down and he wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go and from now on sin no more. This is a powerful story. There's a lot going on in this passage that I think sometimes that we miss. This is a complete setup. This has been orchestrated by a group of religious leaders that didn't like Jesus. He was com competition to them. He was gaining popularity. He was really, for their, their established kind of way of doing the law in Judaism was not consistent with what God had for his people. So Jesus was combative in a sense with all of what they were doing. So they set this scenario up. There's a whole bunch of layers of problems going on with this. And it's an impossible trap unless you're Jesus. So here's what's going on. In, in the Old Testament, in, in the law, in Moses, when somebody's caught in adultery, the penalty is death. Death by stoning. That's what they used to do. But there's, there's already a, a problem in this trap because it takes two people to commit adultery. There's only one present. There's one missing piece of the puzzle. That's the guy, because this is a setup. They're not concerned about the woman's adultery. They're concerned about trapping Jesus. And here's the trap that they set for Jesus. The, for, this is the reality. They, they figured this is an airtight case. He cannot get out of this. He's going he's gonna to violate or offend somebody in the process of his decision, because this is what they set up. The law of Moses says, if you're caught in the act of adultery, you're supposed to be put to death. But... The Roman law said that no Jew could actually execute anybody. Only the Romans had the power to execute. So they were thinking, if Jesus says, according to the law, and he obeys the law of Moses, and he says, yes, she's guilty, we should stone her, then he's violating Roman law. But if Jesus somehow upholds Roman law and says, no, we're not going to execute because only the Romans could do it, then he's violating what? The law of Moses. So they're thinking, we got him. But they didn't realize they were facing the God of the universe. And his concern was not about the trap. His concern was about setting this woman free from her life that she had found herself in. She was stuck, and Jesus was going to help her get free. And I want us to look at that this morning because this is the journey that we have. Her journey, although it may not, ours is not as public as hers, is very much like hers. So the first four things I want to highlight in the passage is what life looks like when we're caught in a trap. We're trapped by our own sin and our brokenness, our mindsets. And so we have to find a way to get free from that. The first thing is this. Look at verse 3. That life in a trap looks like fear in the shadows. So it says in, in verse 3, it says, The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery. She was caught, which means she was committing this act in secret because she didn't want anybody to know. And so because of that, she's caught. So she's living a life in the secrets of doing things that she would knew, knew as a Jew was wrong according to the law, wrong before the Lord, but she was doing it in the shadows. And so there's this fear when you are living in the shadows of always being found out. 
So if you and I think about it, for honesty, there's always the struggle with things that we lay, let them linger in the shadows because we don't want to bring them into light because we don't want anybody else to know what's going on in our lives. We want to keep them there. And that's where they have power. This woman, her, her journeys, for most of us, we're not going to get caught in our sin, but she's caught in her sin and she's caught in the shadows. She's caught in this place where she wants to keep it private. She doesn't want anybody to know, so she's hiding it away, which is sometimes the way that we live our lives. We're constantly managing our sins so nobody knows what's really going on. You know how exhausting that is? To constantly live with this tension that there's parts of my life that I cannot reveal to anybody else. I don't want them to know, so I have to keep them in darkness. I have to keep them secret. I have to keep them hidden. And we get really good at trying to manage that, but we end up, eventually, we will crash and burn because you can only manage your sin for, for so long before it will destroy you because sin is stronger than you are. And so we live in that, that tension. And what, what we don't realize is that, that God sees everything and God knows everything. But what if our life, what if we realize that the shadows really aren't shadows at all? They're just a facade that we use as a shadow, but they're not real. What if our lives were like this? What if, how would you live differently if your eye was not only physically for you to see and to get around, but what if your eye had a body cam embedded in it? And everything that you saw, every experience that you had was recorded on some remote DVR somewhere and there was a record of it. How would you live your life? Well, I know most of us would say, I would become a very good editor. I would find that DVR, I would bring up the footage and I would edit it to make sure that it's not representing what I really did. And so what do we do is that we end up creating highly edited versions of ourselves. And we're never who we're supposed to be. Why? Because there's always something in the shadow. This woman was living that. When you are trapped... You are trapped because of what's in the shadow. And then that means you can't full live fully in the light, which leads to the second thing of what happens. There's fear that comes in, our, in the shadows, but what happens when we get exposed, look at the rest of the verse here going on, is that there's shame in the light. It says, placing her in the midst. So can you imagine, okay, you are a woman literally caught in the act of adultery. You are ripped from what's going on. You are brought... Not only just in public, you're brought into the temple courts. The temple's a holy place by a bunch of men and these religious leaders at that. And then you are thrown at the feet of Jesus or standing in front of Jesus. So now you're fully exposed. You're out there. What do you think she's feeling? Ashamed. Why? Because there's nowhere to hide. And shame is that nasty thing that's connected to sin. And what it does is when we sin, shame enters the equation. And what happens is shame goes beyond what sin does. Shame isn't, isn't just what sin is, which is we did something wrong. We sinned. We, we made a bad decision. We did something intentionally wrong, which is an event or an occurrence or an activity. Shame actually goes further and attaches itself to our identity. She now is not only the woman who committed adultery. She's the one known for adultery. And that's the difference between sin and shame. Shame actually has more of an influence on the way we live our life than the actual sin that brought shame in the first place because it attaches itself to our identity. And so now this woman, now she's been, in a sense, she's been ashamed in front of everybody and now she's the what? We don't even know her name. What do we know her as? She's the woman caught in adultery. We all have to ask her for forgiveness someday when we get to heaven because that's the only identity we have for her. What? That's shame. And that's what happens when you are, we are afraid to come into the light. Why? Because of the embarrassment and the shame that we feel for our sin. Because then what happens is when we have been found out so many times in our life, the shame of the event stays with us even though the event has long been in our past. 
There are people here right now that you are still feeling shame for something that happened to you or you did in the past that even though you've asked for forgiveness, you still feel the shadow of that shame over your life. That's what this woman would have been stuck in if she did not encounter Jesus. And that's what keeps us hidden is shame. We're afraid of what other people will say or what other people will do or how they will react to us. And one of the greatest, uh, greatest tragedies of the church is that we don't understand why God has given us the beautiful thing called the church. It isn't to show up on a service at a service on Sunday morning. It isn't to do churchy things. What it is is that God has given us a community of people that is necessary and required for us to follow him. And it comes through when we demonstrate to each other what Jesus demonstrated to us, which was acceptance. See, here's what always, I see it happen all the time, all the time. When we go through a difficult time, when we blow it, when we're struggling, when something bad happens in life, not all of us, but many of us, you know what our first step is? Away from community. I step back. Why? Because I don't want anybody to know I got issues. I don't even want to know I'm struggling. I don't want anybody to know that I failed. And so we disconnect and we step back and we think, I'm going to figure this out on my own. Which, by the way, that's right when the enemy just kicks your butt. Sorry my, for the expression. I have watched people think, oh, I'm going to figure this one out on my own. And then they, then they, then they get more disconnected, more disconnected, and some never find their way back. But then it will, see, people will reemerge after three weeks or three months and like, where did you go? I was really going through a difficult time. Then why did you step away from the people who love and care for you the most? Or the other flip side, I've had people come and say, you don't care. Nobody reached out to me. I'm like, did you bother to tell anybody what you're going through? Well, no, you should have known. <laughs> no? The Holy Spirit's smart, but I don't get everybody, you know, we don't get the download on everybody. That's part of your journey of health to be able to confess what your brokenness is and your struggle to other people around you. Why? Because then you can dispel the shame. And that's what the church is supposed to be. So this woman, now that she's faced with Jesus, she's facing this issue of shame, which leads to the third thing. And that is that life in a trap looks like judgment from others. This is where that fear and that shame come in. Verse 4 and 5 says this teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? So what are they doing? They're saying, it's time to pass judgment. Now it's, this is what the law says. We're, we're supposed to judge. But Jesus is the God of the universe and human flesh. And so he's showing, he's demonstrating the way God works, even in judgment that is different than what we understand. So it's this judgment that we feel. And so if you're stuck in a trap, you know what you're constantly living in fear of? You're living in fear of what other people think of you. That's why you won't come clean with what's going on because you're afraid you're going to be judged. Maybe it's tied to a past event in relationships with other people who knew Jesus and you said something and you risked and you got the finger pointed at you and you were judged. So you're like, ah, I'm never going there again. I'm going to shut that down. That is not supposed to happen in the church. And that's one thing that we have at, our, at Antioch, we have fought for this to truly be a safe place. That there is no place where you, somehow you can't share something. And like, oh, everyone just gra gasps and goes, I can't believe that. Why? Because we'll talk about it in a moment. We're all sinners. But judgment is what keeps us hidden. Why? Because we're afraid of what other people are going to say to us. Because I think, sadly, in our world and in the church, we have become very proficient at passing judgment on everybody else. That's the world we live in, and sadly, that's the church. That's the church. Why do you think people are afraid of the church? I don't think it's because they're mad at God. I don't think it's because they're running from God. I think a lot of people is because they're afraid if they walk in, and I've had so many people when I've invited people to church, boy, if I walked in that room, the walls would fall down. <laughs> Anybody heard that phrase? Because I'm such a sinner. It's like, come join the party, right? 
I think what they're really saying is I'm afraid to set foot in the church because if anybody really finds out who I am, they're going to judge me for it because that's all they hear in the media. They always hear angry Christians pointing the finger at the brokenness of somebody else without ever offering them what Jesus offered, which is what? Forgiveness and grace and mercy. What if we were actually known for being a people that aren't ones that pass judgment? We leave that to God because he's the ultimate judge, but we were the ones that say there's a way beyond judgment. It's what Jesus offers. If that was true in the church, I, I guarantee most of us wouldn't be living in the shadows anymore. So it isn't, we have to take responsibility for living in the shadows, but also there is a collective responsibility that we create the environment that pushes people away because of how we respond to people's brokenness. We, don't, we shouldn't live that way. In fact, uh, a Christian artist who is not well known, his name is Bebo Norman, he wrote a song back in, in 2008. Um, Interesting song. He was watching news reports, report after report, after Britney Spears had risen to kind of this pinnacle career, and then her life fell apart. She made bad decisions. Remember, she was on, she was on Mickey Mouse Club. Remember, her whole start, in a sense, and then she got, went off. And so he was watching how every report after report after report, including people in the church, were just ripping on Britney Spears. And he felt such a broken heart for her and what she's walking through. So he wrote this song. This is what it says. A couple of the lines. He says, Brittany, I'm sorry for the stones we throw. We tear you down just so we can watch the show. Brittany, I'm sorry for the words we say. We point the finger as you fall from grace. And then the song goes on and ends with the line, I see love coming back for you. What if our culture, what if the church, the default wasn't to pass judgment on people? This is what these guys are doing. They're saying, she's guilty, she's guilty. She's, do you don't think she knows she's guilty? Did you think Jesus knows she's guilty? Yeah, Jesus knows she's guilty. Do you think people in our culture know they're guilty? I think a lot more know they're guilty than we give them credit for. I think that's the reality. In fact, one of the things that I mentioned this first service is true. When we're, sometimes I'll watch the news in the evenings, and sometimes if I'm getting busy and we're watching. But if our TV ends up being on around 7 or 8, usually Kim and I aren't necessarily watching it, but it's on in the background. And I'll, You know what the hour between 7 and 8 o'clock is on most major networks? It's gossip hour. It's inside edition, it's, uh, it's extra, it's Hollywood this, it's what? It's basically all the gossip and garbage on what's happened in people's life and how wrong this is and what's gone on. And that's the whole premise of the whole concept of what a lot of popular shows are based on, which is what? Casting stones at other people and their brokenness and their failure without ever taking a self-inventory of the brokenness that's in our own lives. So then there's the fourth thing, life looks like a trap when it also has to do with being bound by sin or bondage to sin. So it says in verse 6, it says, they said this to test him that they may have some charge to bring against him. So this woman is bound, and now they think they've got Jesus. They think they've got him because there's no way he's going to either violate Roman law or he's going to violate Jewish law. He's going to lose. And so they're trying to trap him. But this woman, now she's bound. And they're not even concerned about her bondage to what she's going through. But this trap is that you and I can't get out of where we're at. There's a hopelessness that sets in. And so many times we've tried, and for some, I've watched people years and years try to get free from certain sins in their life. And like they'll reach this moment where they think everything's great, and then suddenly they'll tumble back down again. And they'll feel like I can never get out of this. It's because there's something deeper that Jesus wants to do in that person's life. In fact, I think what you and I have a tendency to do is we live in moments of what we think is freedom, but it's not really freedom. It's a momentary reprieve from the pressures we feel from the brokenness in our life. But we think that we're free, but we're not free. The only reason we're not, we're, the way that you know that you're not free is when you try to be free. And then you realize, well, let me explain it this way. So anybody have a dog? 
Anybody ever taken your dog for a walk? Okay, anybody have a dog that doesn't necessarily like to cooperate a lot on the leash? Okay, until you obviously train them. So our dog was very similar to that. And so when we would take her on a walk, it was funny. Most dogs are this way, at least our dog was. The moment she'd get out the front door or out the side gate and she's got a leash on, and you could see in her eyes, I'm free, right? I'm not in the backyard. I'm not in the house. I'm out, I like, seeing the sights. I'm seeing other people and dogs, and I'm smelling things and all kind of stuff. It's what dogs do, right? And I remember our dog, she would get really excited, really antsy. But you could tell in her mind, like, I'm free, I'm free, until she'd try to run. And she'd pull on the leash, and then we'd pull back. And then she'd pull again, and then we'd pull harder. And then anybody ever had a tug-of-war with your dog? Right? And so there's like, I'm free, I'm free. And then they keep getting yanked back and tell them, I know for our dog, which is train, we're like, we're yanking. And it ends in this horrific choking fit, and the dog's coughing and almost vomiting. Anybody ever experienced that one, right? You're like, some people are looking back, you're abusive to your dog. <laughs> no. It's called training. Eventually, she learned not to do that. But in her mind, she's like, I'm free, I'm free, until she took two steps beyond the, the, where the leash would let her go, and she realized, oh, I'm not free anymore. And that's the very thing that you and I end up in, is we end up in this, I'm free, I'm free, and then you try to act like you're free, and the enemy goes, oh, no, 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 and just tugs a little bit. Let me just remind you, you're still bound, because then what comes is shame comes over our lives, and then we go right back. Shame drives us right back to the same place we were before, and we get stuck. Why? Because we're bound by sin. But the good news is the story doesn't end with this woman facing this judgment and this condemnation. So look at verses 7 through 9, because there's three things that we highlight from these passages as Jesus encounters her, that a life of freedom, what it looks like, what it can actually be like in our lives. So look at verse 7 and 9. The first thing is realize this. We are all sinners. Believe it or not, the pathway to your freedom is to realize you're not the only sinner. So listen to what it says in verse 7 and 9. It says, And they continued to ask, and he stood up and he said to them, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. So what is Jesus doing? He's, he's leveling the playing field. Verse 9. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. So who was left? The perfect one and the sinner. But everybody else who came off as though they weren't a sinner, walked away one by one. Why? Because they all knew they were sinners. I'll tell you, there's something freeing about realizing that you can actually work through the garbage in your life and the sin and brokenness when you realize you're, when you're in a room full of people who are just as much sinners as you are. And I think most of us don't think that. I've talked with so many people who say, man, nobody knows the trouble I've seen. Nobody knows but Jesus, right? You sing that song. No, nobody has ever done what I've done. Nobody's ever as, as horrific. Ever, nobody, until you start to confess that and you will realize there are more people just like you dealing with the same issue, but they were just as afraid as you were to say anything about it. There's something it's amazing about realizing that all of us are sinful and broken. I have watched this. I can't tell you how many times in our community group when we're sharing honestly in our community group and someone pipes in about one of the struggles in their life and almost every single time at least one or two or three other people say, hey, I know where you're coming from. That's me. I'm dealing with that right now or I dealt with that in the past. And then the light comes on for that person and you can tell, I'm not the only one. I'm not the only one who struggles with this. See, we just have this idea that there's us and then there's the super spiritual people. They never struggle with anything. In fact, I have a unique perspective as a pastor because one of the, one of the compliments that people give me from time to time is people come up to me, uh, maybe I shared a story of, of a great failure in my life, and they'll come up to me and they'll say this, thank you. I'm like, thank you for what? Thank you for being real. 
I know what the person's saying to me. They're saying, thank you for admitting that you're just as much a sinner as I am. That's important. Why? Because so many times people look, oh, Pastor John, you would never, ever deal with this. Oh, are you kidding me? Come to my house, interview my wife and my kids, and they will tell you, I am a sinner just like the rest of us. What is that? Because we have this idea that nobody else sins like I do. No, all of us sin. And because of that, there's this freedom that comes when we realize you are not the only person. And Jesus, can you imagine what this woman felt when she, she is like center stage, spotlight on her, all these guys are ready to pick up stones and kill her, and then Jesus says, okay, the perfect one gets to throw the first stone. And they start, can you imagine her eyes start to light up like, oh my gosh, these guys are sinners. I'm not the only one, I'm not the only one. And this is the beauty of it all. The only one that has, has the right to throw the stone didn't ever bother to pick one up because he wasn't going to cast a stone at her. He wasn't going to judge her. He wasn't going to condemn her. This is the beauty of the way God works and realizing that we're all in this. And that's the beauty of, of what the church is supposed to be. It is this broken, broken lives brought together. That is this mosaic of what God's body looks like comes together in broken pieces to create this beautiful thing that God is doing. That's the church. That's why there has to be this sense of freedom in the church. Paul reminds us in Romans chapter 3, verse uh, 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. None of us, not all of us, are perfect. Second thing, a life of freedom also, you and I have to realize that it's God's verdict is the only one that matters. That's it. Verses 10 and 11, Jesus stood up and said, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She says, No, Lord. And this is it. Here it is. Here's the verdict on her life. Jesus says, Neither do I condemn you you. I don't think we grasp what this woman is feeling. She's a Jew. She knows she's a dead woman. She knows, the, she knows what the punishment is for adultery. So when she's caught, I can guarantee in her mind all the way as they're dragging her into the temple courts, she's like, I'm a dead woman. And now all of her accusers are gone. All the ones that could pick up the stones to kill her were gone. And the one who's perfect, who could take her life and exact the punishment, says to her, I don't condemn you. Listen to that. That's the God of the universe in human flesh saying to someone who is guilty as sin, I'm not going to condemn you. What? How can Jesus say that? God requires justice and the wrath of God has to be satisfied. We just sang about that. But Jesus know, knew not long from then he would go to the cross and he would take her adultery on himself. And he would pay for her adultery so that she would not be condemned. That's something you and I have to realize. There is a verdict that has been established over your life when you give your life to Jesus, and it doesn't change according to your behavior because it is God's righteousness and his justice and it not, not dependent on your good behavior. So here's the picture that God paints for us. In fact, it's a great explanation of the way salvation works. In fact, in, uh, I've recommended this book probably more than any other book. It's probably because it's a really short and easy read. It's only like 40 or 50 pages. It's called The Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness by Tim Keller. Excellent book. You can read it in less than an hour. But he talks about this reality that you and I live in the fear of what other people think, what people pass judgment on us. And then we also live with the reality of the internal voices that constantly condemn ourselves. And in the book, he talks about it doesn't matter what other people think. It doesn't matter what you think. It only matters what God thinks, and that's already been determined. So how has it been determined? Here's the way it works. The courtroom set up for our salvation looks like this. You and I are guilty, so where do we sit? We're sitting at the defendant's table in the defendant's seat. Over on this other side, on the prosecution side, is the enemy himself. 
He loves to accuse and he loves to lob things at us. And who sits on the bench is God himself. The Father sits there and looks at us. And so as the, en- or as the enemy's lobbing all these accusations, which probably most of them are true, and we're sitting there nodding our head, yep, that's true of me, yep, that's true of me. And just before the Father exacts his judgment on the defendant who is guilty, the courtroom door opens, and who comes walking in? Jesus does. And he walks right up to the defendant's table, and he looks at us, and he says, move over. So you move out of the defendant's chair, and he sits down, and then, then the father exacts the punishment and said, guilty. So who takes the punishment? Jesus does. And then Jesus, as he's taking on the sentence that's now that his own life, he turns and he looks at us and he says, you're free. That's the courtroom. But you know what happens so many times in our life? We go back into that courtroom and we forget Jesus. We put ourselves on trial by the judgment passed by other people and by our own self-judgment, and we don't realize that the God of the universe, through what Jesus has done on the cross, once and for all, has taken care of every sin in our life. It doesn't mean we're not free to go. I love what Jesus will get to. Jesus says, free now. He goes, leave your life of sin. It doesn't say, hey, you're free to go sin. He says, leave your life of sin. The only way you can leave your life of sin is if you're no longer condemned by your own sin because you're free. You're free to live. And that's the courtroom. So, so Tim Keller puts it this way, and this is a phrase I repeat to myself at least once a week, if not once a day. It doesn't matter what I think. It doesn't matter what you think of me. It only matter what matters what God thinks of me, and that's already been determined. I am constantly reminded that, that God, that, that Jesus has taken on my sin. That's what Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5, 21, says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So this means, this is important. Positionally, you're perfect. Positionally before God, you're righteous. Positionally before God, you are free. The difficulty is living in that. The difficulty is, it's, it's, it's this sense, and I'll, I'll close this in a moment, one last point. But here's the way it works. When you give your life to Jesus, you confess your sin, you turn your life over to him, you're in a cell. Jesus walks into that cell. He unlocks the cuffs and the shackles, and he opens the cell, and he says, you're free. But what do we do? We're like, I don't know. I don't know if this is for real. I don't know. And we kind of stand there, no shackles, no handcuffs. Cell door's open. But we don't walk out. We just stay there. Not, Not because we're not free. It's because we've chosen to be bound. And Jesus says, no, you walk out of this into freedom in your life, which leads to the final thing. And that is in verse 11, next part of verse 11, realize we are actually free. We are. It's not based on your emotions. It's based on what Jesus has done. So Jesus says to her, go and from now on sin no more. Or another translation says, leave your life of sin. The only way you can leave your life of sin is if you're truly free. If you have been forgiven and there's no more weight of sin on your life, you, if you're still in your sin, there's no way you're walking free. There's no way you're living your life of sin. Why? Because you're still attached to your life of sin. But once you've been set free, you've been forgiven, the weight of your own sin has been lifted off of you. Now you can really be free. And some are here today and you've never been there. You've never been free. You've had glimpses of what you think it is, but you've never experienced the full freedom of what God has for you. Here's some reminders about the way God works in terms of freedom. Romans chapter 8, verses 1 and 2 says, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. 
because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. Jesus died so that you didn't have to. He took on our sin once and for all so that you don't have to carry that with you. And the, the reason Jesus rose from the dead is because Jesus was perfect, even though he took on our sin. And when you're perfect, guess what? Sin can't hold you because the penalty of sin is death. But if there is no sin, there is no death. And that's why it's so important when we read passages like, listen, Jesus wasn't sinful, but he took on our sin wise so that we could be the righteousness of God. So when we stand before God in that courtroom, he looks at us and he says, doesn't, he doesn't say not guilty. He says righteous and innocent. Why? Because Jesus has already taken it on. Galatians chapter five, verse one, Christ has set us free to live a free life. So take your stand. Never again let your, anyone put a harness of slavery on you. We're free. Here's the thing. We're, if we're free, then why don't we live like we're free? Because we're too much too busy spending time looking at our past, feeling shame, feeling guilt, and not walking free. There is a choice that you and I have to make to move forward. So let me close with this. There's a, one of the, the, the things that uh, per- periodic I like to watch is stories of people who've been exonerated from, from bad convictions or they were never even should have been charged in the first place and they end up in prison and somehow somebody comes along, they get a new trial and then they get exonerated. And to watch their response. So I was watching uh, a documentary on a guy named um, Ricky Jackson. Back in the 1970s, he was convicted. Uh, he and two, a couple other guys were convicted of killing a businessman in Cleveland. But he was never even at the scene. He wasn't there. But because he was a young African-American man, he was obviously guilty by, by just association where he was. And so he went to trial, and somehow, I don't know how it ended up, but he ended up being convicted, and he was sentenced to life without parole. 39 years go by. And finally, they found the evidence that exonerated him. And so he got a new trial, and he was set free. And so they were interviewing him, and it's really interesting, because this is the, what the reporter asked him, like, so are you mad? Are you bitter? Are you angry? Are you, are you just, like, so upset about the system and how you were treated wrong? And this is what he said. He said, you know, I spent 39 years being angry and bitter and depressed and upset. He said, I don't worry about it anymore because I'm free. He goes, I'm not going to waste my time looking back over 39 years. I'm free. And then it was really cool because then they brought him to, there was another group of guys that were convicted and they were 20 years in prison and they got exonerated because evidence came forward that showed that they were innocent. And then when they were coming out of the prison, they had him there and he was kind of talking to them. And I love what he said. This is what his advice were to these three guys who had lost 20 years of their life unjustly. He said, listen, he said, don't look back, keep moving forward. And I love this. And he said this, feel what it feels like to be free. When you're truly free, you're not worried about what life used to be like. You're not worried about the past. You're not worried about even, even the sin that you're still dealing with as long as you're confessing over God and walking in freedom. It doesn't dominate your life in a way because you're too consumed with freedom. You don't worry about what it was to be bound. Can you imagine life like that? To be absolutely free? That's the life that Jesus wants for us. I'm gonna ask the worship team to come and join us for for one last song. But I I want us to capture this because I'm telling you, we should be the most joyous, happy, free people on the planet. If we know Jesus, then we have nothing to worry about. Because like Paul said, the worst thing that can happen to us is death. And if you know Jesus, death is not loss. Death is gain. It is. 
And if that's the case, then I can live my life free of fear, free of what's going to happen to me tomorrow, free, free of the fact that if I sin, that somehow I'm going to condemn myself to death. No, I know that if I ask for forgiveness, that Jesus is faithful and just and will always forgive my sin. So this is what I'd like to do in a moment. I'm going to pray. Like I said, and then we'll go into another song. But, but this is really important because the journey to freedom begins with disclosure. It's a thing the Bible calls confession. And confession means that I bring out what's inside of me, I take what's in the shadows, and I bring it into the light. And the first step of that is always with God. It's always with, okay, God, even though God knows what's in the shadows, by the way, he can see everything. He has night vision, so he can see right into the shadows of your life. But he's waiting for you to acknowledge what he already knows is true. And that's what confession is. And so when I'm going to pray in a moment, and as we sing, I'm going to ask you, that you would begin to, to confess those things that you know that the Lord wants to bring out in the open. I mean, I'm glad that we are not like the, the woman that she was caught and then she was exposed. I would rather confess before I'm exposed because it's much easier to deal with it instead of being forced to deal with it. So I'm going to ask you to do that. But, but as, as well, there's a second stage to confession that some of us will require because it's, it brings the accountability that all of us need and that is this you and I need somebody else to know our stuff to know the journey we're on because it isn't somehow they're going to pass judgment or they're going to point the finger at us they're going to come alongside of us and they're going to say hey listen I understand what you're going through and they might even say I've been there and I've gone through that but I'm going to pray for you and I'm going to be along along the way to ask you questions because when you get it out to another person something's broken in our sin because now somebody else knows my stuff. And now I don't have to keep managing. How do I keep this over here in the, in the secret place or in the darkness or in the shadows? And then how do I keep what I want people to know over here? You don't have to do that anymore. Why? Because you get to be consistent all the way through because there's nothing to hide anymore. So as I pray, I'm gonna ask you, make the confession before the Lord. And then maybe if you know that, you know, I'm gonna need another step of this, then later today or this week, you find someone and say, hey, this is what I've been dealing with. I need to, I need to find freedom in this in my life. But we're going to sing a song in a moment that has to do with God setting us free. It's a familiar song that we're going to sing. And the chorus talks about that our chains are gone. And they are. And if you're standing in the cell today and Jesus has removed your chains and he's opened the cell door, he's saying to you today, come walk in freedom. Step out of the cell and live the life I've always created you to live. Let's pray. Jesus, when you came into the world in the form of a baby subjected yourself to everything that we would go through as human beings and you did that not only so that you would have this incredible ability to empathize with humanity but you did it a bit because it was a part of your journey in becoming one of us to reveal who you are to the world and Lord I thank you that as we've walked through this series, you revealed yourself to Nicodemus, you revealed yourself to the woman at the well, you've revealed to this woman, yourself to this woman caught in adultery, and we can all learn that that's the way you approach broken people. And so today, Lord, we come with our sin and our brokenness, and we wanna give it to you, we want to confess it, we wanna bring it out of the darkness into the light. And in doing so, Lord Jesus, we know that you will say these words to us if we rely on your sacrifice and your gift of freedom, that you will look at us as you looked at this woman and you say these words to us, neither do I condemn you. And now go live free. 
So Jesus, in these moments, would you set us free? Even, Lord, across this room, supernaturally, would you bring freedom where there is a shadow, a cloud over our life of shame? I pray, Jesus, would you break that power right now? Would you clear the clouds? Would you bring out, Lord, your light into our lives that we embrace with fullness and experience the joy of your freedom and all that you've given to us? We thank you, Jesus, for what you're doing.